Welcome to the Pathway Podcast. This is the third week of our series, Go. Lead pastor Jeremy Flanagan explores what it takes to gain new ground in our spiritual lives. Stay tuned after the sermon for this week's next steps. One of the things that I am, uh, I always am enamored by when I look at Northwest Arkansas is just the mix of people that we have brought into this one little area, this one little corner of our state. And it's not like we're the most diverse or the most metropolitan place in the world. It's still Arkansas, right? So we're, we're like one of the best places in Arkansas, still in the south. It's still small uh, and everything else. But just to go and to see and experience all of the different uh, people and cultures and backgrounds uh, and all the different uh, you know, events and everything else that that has brought into our area... Uh, whenever we talk about the idea of going, whenever we talk about the idea of spreading out and sharing the gospel and you know, being a light to the world, um, we truly can do that on a small scale where we live. We are blessed by that immensely to have the opportunity to reach almost every culture in the world represented at least by a handful of people here, most cultures represented by a whole lot of people. And so it is a wonderful thing whenever we start talking about the idea of going and sharing the gospel and letting our faith be lived out in what we do, um, we truly can put that into practice right where we live. Yeah, we need to, you know, go or to support others who are going all over the country and all over the world. But as we've been saying for the last two weeks, it comes down to us taking some personal responsibility, saying it is not someone else's job to take the gospel out. It is my job. Yeah, it's their job too, but it's mine just as much as any other believer in Christ. So in week one, one of the things we looked at, one of the things I keyed on was how that after Jesus was crucified and there were only 11 apostles left, and on the day that Jesus you know, came back and rose again and then stayed there for about uh, you know, a few weeks and then ascended to heaven, at that point in time, there were 120 believers gathered waiting for that, watching for that. And so I love that picture because on that Sunday, there were exactly 120 people in this room. Uh, Today, uh, I think there's going to be a little bit more than that. But roughly the same number of people in this room right now is what there were who were faithfully following Jesus when he ascended back to heaven. And we can see what their determination to live out the gospel and their drive to move forward, what it did for the world. And I asked that question that week, or what would we answer if, if we had to ask whether or not, if we were the only Christians here, what would Christianity look like 10 years from now, 100 years from now? If we're the only Christians on earth, what would it look like down the road? And so I hope that we can say we would push forward and we would strive ahead, but uh, you know, I don't usually give myself that much credit. Um, A couple of things we looked at that day is that we want to be people who are driven. We want to be people who, you know, who say we want to latch on to the things of Christ and move them forward. And I said there's no drive in a person's life without the possibility of complacency. And a lot of times we are complacent as believers, as individuals, as church. We can get complacent in being, you know, soaking up all the benefits of Christianity, especially Christian culture, without taking on the responsibility of being driven to spread Christ through our community and through our world. And so I also said, there's no faith without being in the middle of doubt. 
We only show our faith when we're having to struggle with doubt. You know, you don't have to have faith when everything is calm. You don't have to have faith when everything is known. Faith comes when there is doubt or there is struggle. And the same thing with bravery. Bravery only exists in the face of fear. You don't have to be brave when there's an absence of fear. It's only when you are stepping out into a place that you are uncomfortable. It's only when you are doing something that you do not feel ready to do. It's only when you step out in faith to do what God wants you to that you also can exhibit bravery when you just overcome any of those things in the back of your mind keeping you from stepping out, keeping you from moving forward. You just move past them. That's who we want to be as believers, but it takes dedication and us just saying, God, whatever you say, that's where we're going to go. Week two, we kind of followed that up. We looked at the story of the day of Pentecost. So it was after Christ ascended, and one of the first big things that we see happen is the believers were gathered together and praying. The Holy Spirit came and, and uh, rested upon them in a way that he had never done before, brought them uh, as a group, not just the apostles, because the apostles had been working miracles and everything else. But now that church, that, that group of people, um, were able to do some miraculous signs. And namely, what they did is they went out from where they were gathered into a large group of people from all nations, all in the area, kind of probably an open market type setting, and they started speaking in tongues. You can go to last week about what that means, but they started speaking in other known languages. It wasn't some unknown language or anything else. If you have questions about that, listen to last week, email me, I'll talk all you want. Um, but they went out and they did this, and, and from that picture, what I said that I wanted us to take home is that on day one, God gave them a way to connect with people where they were at and who they were and in their culture and in their language at that point in time to prove to them miraculously that God was in control, but also just to bridge that gap, to bridge that gap when sometimes we're scared that no one's going to listen to us or that we don't have enough in common with someone to talk to them about Jesus. God showed them on day one that he could take a group of people that were just gathered together not expecting to be used that day, surely not expecting to influence people from all over the known, you know, that known part of the world, all over the Middle East and, and uh, Southern Europe and Africa and, and Central Asia. On that day that they were simply gathered together to pray, God said, no, I can do a lot better. I can do a lot more through you. And he made them connect with people in a very personal way. And so while God doesn't miraculously give us ways to connect with others, he told us in Scripture to become all things. Paul said that he became all things to all people so that he might have the chance to lead some to salvation. And that's what God has called us to do, is to work, to connect with others, to allow ourselves to not be limited with who we talk to, with who we reach out to, to not allow ourselves to think that we can't share the gospel with somebody but instead to work, to strive, to create connections with the people around us because God showed them on day one that he was going to make them more effective than they ever dreamed. And he will us too if we're just willing to go, just willing to go. And so one of the things I did last week, I brought up some slides and I showed that how small Israel was in comparison with the rest of that world. And if you bring that slide up, it has the percentages uh, or the population today. They didn't keep a really strong census back in you know, the year 33 AD. 
and so today, and if by percentage, probably about the same thing, but today Israel has 13.7 million. Uh, and so when you, when you look at that, um, it's only 3.1% of the total Middle Eastern population. So there's 440 million people in the Middle East today. Israel is only 13 of that, um, just 3.1%. If you look at that on a global scale, what's Israel's population today versus the whole world, it's 0.11%. America is like four and a quarter. Uh, Israel is 0.11%. And so that tiny little group of people is the one that God entrusted with being his and being a light to the world. And they weren't doing a great job of it um, before Christ. And at the time of Christ and afterwards, it wasn't the whole nation reaching out with the gospel. It was 120 people. So a tiny little fraction of a tiny little country in a really big world set against them changed it. They changed it because of their faith and because of their determination. You know, if you look at Fayetteville, Fayetteville just came out with the new census numbers. We're number two in the state behind Little Rock. We surpassed Fort Smith. Um, you know, so we're the second largest city in the state. 93,949 people. So if you take the population of Fayetteville and then the population of Israel at 0.11%, it's 103 people. So imagine if 103 people in the town of Fayetteville... And then actually a very small subset out of that are expected to take the gospel to everybody. That's what they were faced with. That's the job they were given. I share all these things to let you know our job isn't as hard. Right? Our responsibility is not quite as big because it is shared by a whole lot more. Right? It is a shared responsibility. It's the same mandate. It's the same command. It's the same directive from God to tell us to go. But we have a whole lot more support out there. And so they went, that 120, and they started sharing the gospel. And we see a whole lot of things that happened from the time that we talked last week until where we're going to be at today. We're going to be in Acts chapter 11 and then Acts chapter 13 today. And those scriptures will be on the screen um, we're going to be there today, and I just want to show you just a few things that happened from Acts chapter 2 to Acts chapter 11. And so if you throw those up, we see that Peter preached and miraculously healed people. Uh, Peter and John, uh, a little while later, were brought before the council. Um, they wanted to, you know, do away with them, but they really didn't have anything to charge them with, so they had to release them. It talked about how that believers helped each other. They actually sold possessions to help take care of other believers. Um, one of the things that was happening back then, too, was if somebody trusted in Christ, that a lot of times their family would push them out, which most of your livelihoods were within the family and everything else. And so they loved each other and they helped each other. The cause of Christ was that important to them. Um, the apostles began preaching and performing miracles and started seeing some different things happen there. Um, the church was growing at that point in time so much that there was a little bit of fighting back and forth about people being taken care of. And so that's when they selected the first seven deacons to serve the people. Um, that way the apostles could continue preaching and teaching and handling those matters, and the deacons took care of the needs of the congregation. Um, then you saw shortly after that that Stephen was preaching, and he, uh, he was very, very strong in his preaching and everything else. He ended up getting arrested, put on trial, and then they stoned him to death 
while Saul of Tarsus, who later becomes the Apostle Paul, watched and held their coats while they killed him. And so after that, in about Acts chapter 9, you start to see where this persecution got ramped up and the people were feeling the heat there in Jerusalem and there in the main part uh, where Christianity started there in Judea. And a whole lot of them spread out. A whole lot of them took off. I mean, what you're seeing happen, you know, right now, I mean, in, in Afghanistan, you, you see that happen in other parts of the world throughout uh, modern times, throughout all of history, where uh, believers or individuals from one ethnic group are worried that the, the new people in power are going to wipe them out. And so they, they take off. And so a whole lot of believers in Jesus Christ started scattering throughout uh, the Middle East and Southern uh, Europe, Africa, Central Asia. So they started moving to all these places, and that's kind of where we're brought to today. A little thing happened there after that that Saul was converted. He was uh, stopped on the road to Damascus, and Jesus spoke to him. And Saul became a believer, and there's that whole story. There's so much great stuff that I'm just skipping over because I want to get to the parts about us going. So if you aren't familiar with all these stories, read those first kind of 10 chapters in the book of Acts. And you start seeing a whole lot of things happening right after another leading up till today. But in Acts chapter 11, towards the end of that chapter, um, it says, Meanwhile, in verse 19, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. I love verse 22. When the church of Jerusalem heard of what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And they wanted the Jews to go out and to spread the message of Jesus Christ, but they just weren't quite ready about it just going to everybody yet. They, you know, staying within the Jewish family and within the Jewish community was what they expected to happen. didn't happen that way. Verse 23, when he or Barnabas arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch, and both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. And it was at Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. I'm going to come back to that statement here in a little bit. But this was the place that people were first called Christians. Uh, it just started more or less from a bunch of people from Israel being scared for their life, taking off. And so it wasn't like Peter who stayed behind or some of these others who stayed behind and said, I'm going to take the arrows, I'm going to you know, put the, my, my neck on the line, I'm going to risk death to stay in Jerusalem, to stay in Judea and to, to preach the gospel. No, these people were like, I'm getting out of town to save my family, save my life, and I'm going to get somewhere where I'm less likely to be killed for you know, my beliefs. And so they weren't the big, huge people that you think about standing strong and, you know, fighting off, you know, anything that came their way. They got out of Dodge, but they still were going to preach Christ. And they got to somewhere where they felt comfortable doing so. And, you know, it said that they preached the word of God, but only to Jews, except some of those people in Antioch. And um, 
except some of those from Antioch, they began preaching to everybody, the Jews and Gentiles, which is just everybody who's not a Jew. And that is the place where Christians were, were first called such by people in the community, people around who just saw them and said, these are Christians. We'll come back to that in Acts chapter 11 and verse 27. We keep reading. It says, during this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea and everyone giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. So, here you have this church at Antioch. It simply started by persecuted believers running for their life, but saying, you know what? We're still going to preach the gospel, and we're going to preach the gospel to everybody. We're not just going to hold it within the Jewish people. We're going to preach it to everybody. And everybody started believing in Jesus, and they started worshiping together. They started serving together. Barnabas said, all right, I need to go get Saul. And uh, I need to go uh, get him. I need to go grab uh, Saul. He's still at Tarsus. I need to bring him here. I need help. And also kind of a little bit of a rehab mission for the guy who had been killing Christians, newly saved. And so he brought him there. They spent a year teaching. And then as soon as there became problems in the land and they were worried about a famine, where? Was it in Jerusalem? No, the famine, they said, was the whole Roman Empire. That includes them. But they still said, let's gather up money and send it back to Jerusalem because we think they're going to be in more need than us. So let's take up money. Let's send it back there because we're doing okay, right? We're doing all right here, and we're more worried about them. That's the people that you find there at Antioch. You keep going in Acts chapter 13 in verse 1, and it really brings us to kind of the heart of what I want to talk about today. It says, among the prophets and teachers of the church at Antioch and Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Menaean, the childhood companion of King Herod, Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them their way. So Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit and they went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. And John Mark went with them as their assistant. It was here at Antioch that the first true large missionary team was sent out. Now Peter had traveled around and, and preached and Philip had done some of the same and they had gone to different places. But at this point in time, Christianity was spreading simply by believers who said, wherever we move, wherever we go, we're going to talk about Christ. And Antioch was the one place that they did it to everyone. And so this is how Christianity had been spreading. But now is a point in time that God called out Paul and Barnabas through the people at that church to endorse them, to lay hands on them, and to send them out the door. Now, I'm a map guy, you know that, so I just want to throw one up. If you're unsure about where some of these places are, 
uh, the big red arrow on the right part of the screen, that is pointing at Antioch. Down below that, um, which that kind of that pink area in that nation over to the right, that's Syria. The island is Cyprus. Uh, down there in the green down there, that's Israel. And so you've got Jerusalem way down there um, on kind of the bottom right part of the screen. So very far north, up into Syria, almost to Turkey, that's where Antioch is at. And, um, and you had people here in Acts chapter 13 and verse 1 from a lot of different places. When you, when you look at this map and you see this, down there on the kind of the bottom middle, there's Cyrene. So when you had uh, somebody, Lucius from Cyrene, that's where he's from. When you had Simeon, which in some versions it said he was called Niger, um, which it's like there isn't really a, a word for that. Uh, and so uh, more or less he was African. That was their way to, to there to kind of say African. And it kind of it meant black. Nigeria as a country wasn't called Nigeria for a long, long time. So it was just more or less what they were saying. So you had this guy from northern Africa, which is you know, more almost Middle Eastern. Then you had somebody from deeper in Africa. Then you had, um, you know, Manan, who was uh, there from Judea. And then you had Saul. You had Barnabas. You had people from all over. You had Gentiles from Turkey. You had people from Syria. You had people from northern Africa. You had people from deep within Africa. And then you had Jews from Jerusalem. And this is the group of people that you had there at the church at Antioch. And on that day, you know, a group of them were gathered together. They were worshiping the Lord and fasting. And that is when the Holy Spirit said, separate Paul and Barnabas for me. Now, the thing is, when when you look at this, is that the Holy Spirit could have done that any time, right? He could have just sent them as individuals out on their own. I mean, when he took Philip and just, you know, Star Trek beamed him to go, uh, you know, talk to the, um, to the Ethiopian eunuch traveling on the road, um, there wasn't a committee, there wasn't a church behind that or anything else. He just, he just sent him. But here, we have God, the Holy Spirit, saying, this is who I want to go, but he does it among a group of believers and the people at that church who are worshiping together and fasting and praying. And he doesn't just tell them what he's going to do. God says, I want you to, 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 to be a part of sending them out. Back in verse 3, it said, After more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. It doesn't get a whole lot into whatever their agreements were for support or about what they were going to do for them or help them out. I mean, this was the church that they were part of the area that was going to undergo a famine, and they gathered money for other people, right? So this was also a church that you can expect was going to help and support and do what they could for this group that they were sending out. Paul and Barnabas and then John Mark went with them. And so when you see all of this happening, when you see these people being sent out, when you see it being done here through Antioch, What I want us to understand is that God works through his people gathered and covenanted together who are saying that we as a group are going to carry out the work of Christ. Because long after Paul was gone, long after Barnabas had died, the churches that they were sent out by, the churches that they started, were still going and still moving. And here we see God work through this group of people to endorse 
and to send out the first large missionary team to do a really big work over, you know, Turkey, mostly then, and uh, over into, you know, close over to Greece and Cyprus and back around again. Second missionary journey went way bigger. And so this is what the group of Antioch was used to do. They were first called Christians there. Why? Why? There were believers in Christ back in Jerusalem. That's where it started. There were a lot more. There were believers in Christ who, uh, who had watched him, who had served with him, who had, uh, who had experienced the crucifixion, had experienced the aftermath, who had watched him ascend. Right? There were people back in Judea and Galilee who had been invested in this for a lot longer, but it was at Antioch that they were first called Christians, and it was at Antioch that the Holy Spirit called out to them and said, endorse and send. I'm taking these guys, I want them to go, and as a church, they prayed, they fasted, they laid hands on them, and they sent them out. There are so many reasons why I think that it happened here. I mean, when you start looking, number one, that this was the first place that we have on record that a group of people just said the gospel is going to everybody. We're not asking about it. We're not debating it. We're not having a conversation. The gospel is going out to everyone that we come in contact with. And believers started popping up from all nations, from all backgrounds, from all everything. So much that on this day, the group that is talked about that was praying was Jews from uh, Judea, was from people from... There in the Middle East was people from Northern Africa, people from Deep Africa, Central Asia, all gathered together. All gathered together. Serving God, worshiping, praying, helping others that they felt needed it more than they did. And that's why God, I believe, used them. It's also why I believe that people just looked at them and said, this is what Christians are. And wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be so wonderful if people still felt that that's what Christians are. Now, in some places, at some times, that's the impression that people are given by believers. Other times, not so much. But when believers, not just as an individual, but especially as a group, gather together to truly carry out not just the, the, the actions, not just the tasks that God would have for believers to do, but to do it with the heart that Jesus showed the world and wants us to emulate. When Christians do that, we are called by that name, justly so. And we also have a great impact. But here you have a group of people. It was at Antioch that so many different things happened. This uh, group got sent out. When Peter came up and preached there for a while and uh, was a part of them, he also just started hanging out with everybody. And then when Jews from Jerusalem came out, he didn't sit at the Gentile table anymore. He just sat at the Jew table. And that's when Paul scolded him and uh, kind of got on to him for that. Um, you see, Jerusalem is where everything started. It's where the teachings of Christ were heard and it's where they were spread. But it was at Antioch that they first really started getting lived out in, in the purest form. It was at Antioch where the people there didn't wait for the ones who came before them to tell them what to do or to give them permission to be evangelists. They just did. They just went. They just loved. They, they told. They just said, we're going to go. We're going to go, and it's because of that that God used them. 
You know, as a church and as individuals, when we are faced with that question that we've been asking through this series, what would Christianity look like if it was left to me? What would it look like if it was left to us? Well, we're not responsible for the whole thing, but Christianity is left to me and you and to us. And the future of other people across this world knowing the gospel rests on us and other believers doing what God has called us to do. And the problem that we have too often is that we're much more like the other churches who just followed the lead of Jerusalem and and played it safe and everything else and less like Antioch who just said, yeah, we understand what this is about. We're going to love, we're going to tell, we're going to let everybody come in, we're going to worship, we're going to serve, we're going to help. We're going to keep going. If all of God's people and if all of his churches were like that, imagine what we could do. But I'm not really concerned about all the rest of them. I'm just concerned about us. Because this place and this group of people gathered here today, this church that says we're going to carry the gospel forward, we're going to move together as we do this, this is what I'm responsible for. This is what you're responsible for. This is what we as a group have to keep our focus on Because if a church, any single one, will say, we're going to have this kind of heart and this kind of drive, this kind of faith, this kind of bravery, man, what did they do? What did Antioch do? What could we do? I guarantee you we could do a lot more than we think. A lot more than we think. You know, I've seen when we were talking as a staff this past week and we talked about the upcoming sermons and we just talked about different ideas. You know, some of the things we talked about was that, that idea sometimes of uh, where, and, and we've all experienced it, and I have multiple times, and, and if you're here, and, and maybe if you're married, and you're a believer, and your spouse wasn't, um, and if that changed, um, we've seen a lot of times where you have a believing spouse and a non-believing spouse, and all that believing spouse wants their, you know, uh, their loved one to do is to trust in Jesus as Savior. And then as soon as they do it, Sometimes there's problems because they're like, oh, I believe in Jesus now. Let's do what he told us to do. And they're like, whoa, 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 whoa. I wanted you to go to heaven with me, but I wasn't necessarily doing all this other stuff before. Just because you're going to heaven with me doesn't mean that I'm ready to just change everything. And I've seen tension there. I've seen tension in churches when new believers say, well, why aren't we doing what it says to do in the Bible? And people who have been believers for a long time and maybe you're a little complacent, not as driven anymore, Say, well, that's, you know, we've tried that and it hasn't worked. We've tried that and, you know, and, and it, uh, you know, it's something that's just too much effort and we don't see the results we want. And they're like, well, let's try something. And there's conflict there. Sometimes you have it where you have new believers who read the Bible and ask, why are we teaching this when the Bible says something different? And, of course, they end up leaving that church pretty fast, usually. Because they're like, I just trusted in Christ and I'm reading his word and it's, pretty straightforward if I just read it, and uh, why aren't we doing that? You know, most conflict within churches, within believing relationships and non-believing relationships, within friendships and Christian circles and everything else comes when we are not all on the same page moving forward the way God would want us to. That's the good type of conflict that happens. It's still rough, it's still hard, it's still bad, it's still conflict. The worst conflict that I see is when everybody is on the same page doing nothing and all they're worried about are trivial matters that don't 
that don't affect the gospel. That's when I see groups of Christians who really are just unhappy and, and fight, squabble. But when we have that true conflict, when a group of believers says, why aren't we doing what God has called us to do, and we don't have a good answer for it, that's good conflict. And I want that type of question in our mind, why aren't we doing what God has told us to do? Why am I individually not a part of what I know I should be? Why as a church are we not having as much of an impact as we see that other churches have had and that God wants for us? And it all comes down to a group of people putting as much as they can aside and just living how Christ would have them to live so much, so much, that people look at us and say, that's what a Christian is. When we are like that, then that's when God will do great, great things. As we get to the end this morning, I want to read a couple of passages in Ephesians. And Paul, when he was writing to another one of his churches there at Ephesus, uh, one of those churches that he went to on a missionary journey, very, very commonly used passage on salvation in Ephesians 2 and verse 8. It says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. If you're here today and you have never trusted in Christ as Savior, if you've got questions about what that means, when we say believing in Christ or trusting or having faith or relying or all the different you know, 20 ways we talk about you know, believing in Jesus and salvation, it is as simple as this, that we can be saved by grace, which means something we didn't earn. It's a gift. We can't take credit for it. It's not a reward for living a good life. It's not that we earned enough to be able to you know, go to heaven. No, it is simply that when we believe in Jesus, that he gives us salvation. And so if you're here and you haven't just fully said, I'm going to rely on Christ and nothing else, then I would love to talk to you today as, as we worship together. I'll be up front. I would love to talk to you about what it means to trust in Christ as Savior. But for all of those who are here who have already believed, what did it say after we are saved, after we've received that grace, after that we've been given that gift because we believe in Christ, that we are his masterpiece and God wants us to do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He goes on in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 and it says, Now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. So God set up a wonderful thing for us. It's a part of what we're here worshiping together today. Just a group of believers who say that this is our mission, this is what God has given it to, and that we are going to be a part of moving this forward. We don't always do it as much as we would like. We don't, we don't see the effectiveness that we all wish we had. Right? We don't all see the results of people coming and trusting in Christ as much as I know that we would all desire. And so the question that we have to continually ask ourselves is, are 
we doing what God would ask us to do? Are we moving? Are we going? Now, remember, the church of Antioch was started by a group of people running for their lives. But still, in the middle of that, we're sharing the gospel. And we're making an impact around them. We need to see and ask the question, what would my life look like? What would it look differently tomorrow if I started trying to live it in such a way that people would see my faith in Christ and be drawn to him because of it? And so a couple of things today. Are we ready to step forward? You know, they went out. They went out and they shared the gospel and and they didn't ask who they could share it to. They didn't ask for permission. They just went. You know, a lot of us, and if you grew up, and if you didn't grow up as a believer or you didn't grow up within a, a church community, then maybe you don't have a, a really good concept of what it means to be a part of a group that is out there sharing their faith actively, loving on people in the community, and spreading that uh, through your town, through your area. But guess what? There are a lot of you here that did grow up in a church culture and a church environment. And because of that, you have a bad example of what it means to go out and to actively share your faith in the community and to be a part of a group that is showing the love of Christ everywhere and all the time. You know, you you look back at, at that nation of Israel, tiny little nation, middle of the Middle East, tiny little group of people out of that tiny little nation, the group of people, a whole lot of them for Galilee, that most of them, most people didn't really think that much of. And still yet, because of their love for Christ, they changed the world. And so you may come from a place where you say, Jeremy, I don't know what it looks like. I don't have a good example. And, and I'm telling you, we, we do our best here. We are not the best at it. We do everything we can, and we are still not the best at helping everybody move forward to be able to share and to go and to do. You know, the things that we tried this summer and the things that we did just helping break us out of our comfort zone to share the gospel. Later this fall, we may try and have a makeup date of, of going, doing some more, uh, you know, visitation in neighborhoods and, and asking people about their faith because we had to cancel it because of, of you know, the spike in COVID. Um, we try and do some of those structural things to help move us past our fears, to help move us past that point of doing nothing for what we want. But still yet, in the end, what it's going to come down to is us figuring out how to move past those fears to live out Jesus every single day. What are the things that we would have to change in order to fully embrace that? As our worship team comes forward and we are going to have a time of response, I just want to ask you to to examine those questions for yourself. We can't worry about every other group of people in the world, right? We can't. can't fix them. We can barely fix us. That's what we have to worry about. How do I as an individual need to change to be more like the people who change the world? How do we as a group of believers here at Pathway need to move and to go in such a way that affects our community and our area as much as they did theirs? It's not an easy question. I mean, we can come up with some real easy answers, but following them out, making them a reality, that's tough. That's tough. Why should that stop us from going? Why should that stop us from trying? The worst thing in the world we can do is to look at the challenges ahead of us or to look at what God has commanded us to do and to wait for somebody else to show us the way. God's already told us to go. 
We go and we figure it out. We go and we just start being who we already know God wants us to be. And the rest will take care of itself. Antioch didn't have a lot of instruction. They didn't have a, a plan about how to do this. They were the first. They were the trailblazers to just go out there and live Christ in such an open way that the Holy Spirit said, I'm going to use y'all to send out Paul and Barnabas. Let's figure out how to be that. Thank you for listening. We challenge you to take some next steps this week. One, are you the type of personality that takes the lead to do something they want, or do you wait until others have prepared the way? When it comes to God's kingdom, we can't wait for others. Make bold decisions to take new ground. Two, in order for you to fully embrace God's vision for your life, what might you need to give up? Ask God for the conviction to follow through. For more information about small groups, Pathway Kids, or anything Pathway related, contact us at pathwaybaptist.com connect.